0: Okay, we are back. This is Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. It's 4:24 in the morning, uh August 26, 2019, Monday morning. So, let me explain. I uploaded episode 10 about 25 uh, 9, episode 9 about uh, 20 minutes ago. Uh and you you might see in the uh description of the show that Episode 9 had a slight technical glitch. I was unaware that when you're recording a podcast uh, in this specific platform, you cannot pause it. Uh, and I had gotten a call um, as I was recording. So I hit stop, and I thought maybe you can start back up at that moment, but it doesn't allow you to do that. So... Um, uh, I guess I'm in a roundabout way. I'm saying, hey Anchor, uh, you might want to install a pause uh, capability. But no, Anchor's been great, and I uh, highly recommend them uh, for uh, if you're going to start your own podcast. Obviously, that's what my uh, so one of my early sponsors. Um, I talk about how great Anchor is. So, with that said. Um, I just want to let you know there's a technical glitch in episode 9 at around 55 minutes and 30 seconds or something, or 56 minutes and 30 seconds, something like that. And it just stops. So we're going to start back up where I left off, uh, but we're going to you know, do a little talking beforehand maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, um, about what's been going on in the last uh, uh, few days since, uh, since I um, uploaded, since I taped the last podcast, and I hope everything's going well with you guys, keep those DMs coming down on uh, any questions you have for me on Instagram, it's always nice to hear from people, like from all walks of the planet, um, I always joke and say, you know, I can't walk the streets in Istanbul, uh, because of how popular the podcast is, um, but uh, I'm only kidding, but uh it's it's pretty nice to find out there are people listening to you in Australia and United Kingdom and um, and Patterson, New Jersey. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. But so here's um, what's been going on. Um, I I spoke on uh, the last podcast. I spoke about uh, losing two friends. Um, one was a patient of mine. Name is Dennis uh, Henry. He passed away. And uh the other one was a very, very close friend of mine comedian uh Mike Reynolds. And um I uh at the time of the recording of the last podcast, I hadn't uh already attended their uh, memorials, but I did go to Dennis's memorial um last Saturday, I guess that would be the seventeenth. And uh that was interesting. That was uh that was interesting to see how many people uh, uh, showed up. Wait, maybe I did speak about this. I might have spoken about this. Now that I think about it, I think I did. Because I, I think I remember talking about uh, the turnout and how much people uh, loved him. So I apologize for reiterating that. For some reason, I, I didn't think I, uh, that I had done the podcast uh, uh, after that. I, I, I guess I did it before. Uh, I guess I did it after, not before. So, okay, so we'll we'll skip that because I already spoke about it. So today, the 25th, I should say yesterday, the 25th Sunday, was um, Mike Reynolds' um, memorial at the Hollywood Improv. And it was a pretty... Um, interesting turnout. We got a lot of people, a lot of people were there. Even Larry David, uh, creator of, uh, co-creator of Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, Larry and uh, Mike were very close friends and Larry was there today and I got a chance to meet him and, um, and we got a chance to speak and mostly about Mike. And uh, I'm going to miss Mike. Um, Mike, I'll give you a little bit of Little backstory: Mike and I met probably in uh, nineteen ninety five, ninety six, maybe ninety six, ninety seven. So I knew Mike about twenty three years, and uh, I would say that a good portion of those twenty three years uh, have—I I would say—I've spoken to him anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half hours uh, a night for, I would say five to six days a week. Um, our schedules were so conducive, him getting off work at hours that I was up late at night. And, uh, uh, I'll explain a little bit more about Mike. Mike was a guy I met 23 years ago, uh, at a uh, fellow comedian's house, Bruce Smirnoff, and we hit it off immediately. Mike was originally from Bayside. I was originally from Flushing, Fresh Meadows, Queens. So we had that commonality, and um, we really, really got along. We really had a great friendship. And when we fought, it was always over the the oddest things. We would fight over um, uh, was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, the only uh, the lone gunman. Uh, that day in Dallas, um, and we would fight. Uh, we would argue about nine eleven, and I would say one thing, he'd say the other about you know certain aspects of it, and um, and that was it. Other than that, we never fought about anything. Just those two things, and uh, and and when I say fight, I had nothing to do with the fight. I would just be the punching bag on the phone. I would be the guy he would scream at. And then I'd hang up after I say, you finished? And then I'd hang up and it was a massive screaming. And then it's funny because everybody in the memorial today was all telling Mike Reynolds fight stories. And uh, everybody had the same thing where they he would scream at them and then he would hang up or they would hang up. But um, we had a great friendship regardless of, you know, two, you know, two major discussions over 20 some odd years that, uh, you know, Created a little tension for a couple of days, but other than that, we had a great friendship. This last argument, once again, uh, I think this was a nine eleven argument uh, last September. Um, we uh, we lost touch for the final time in our lives, um, I, unbeknownst to me. Uh, but we had that argument in in September of last year, and um, once again, not an argument, just him destroying me verbally on the phone uh, and then me hanging up after he finished, you know, screaming to, I mean, uh, top of his, uh, top of his lungs, whatever, I mean, whatever the expression is. So, um, that was last September. And then, uh, I, um, I was told by a friend of mine, Hey, why don't you reach out to him and, you know, give him a shout. Uh, you know, we were, uh, at the time, we were at Brody Stevens Memorial, and um, uh, I said, you know something, you're right, I will reach out to the guy. And I did, and I tried twice to reach out to him, and both times was unsuccessful in getting a return phone call. So um, I'm going to sneeze, excuse me. (coughs) So um, he, uh, I basically had to speak with his sister today at the memorial. His sister f- flew in from Florida and we spoke about, uh, I wanted to get the timeline in the last eight, nine months of his life. Like, you know, what was his life like? To, and then I, she explained all sorts of things and everything started to come together with what I heard from other fellow comedians. And, uh, I'm gonna, gonna miss this guy, you know. I'm definitely gonna miss him. Uh, five nights a week and an hour and a half to two and a half hours a night is uh, is a lot to get to know um, idiosyncrasies. And uh, I didn't want to go up today and speak. Um, I don't know why. I just I just felt, eh, you know, let, let all those conversations be uh, our our thing. Uh, there was some comical things that I probably could have went up in front of a decent audience today and, um, you know, gotten laughs and gotten uh, introspective thoughts or been able to elicit introspective uh, thoughts uh, by the audience. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just felt like eh, I wasn't, wasn't up for it. So, but it was, it was wonderfully orchestrated by comedian and actress Jan Karam and um, she did such a wonderful job and it was just it was really nice to run into some people you haven't seen you know I haven't seen or edit the editorial you know the whole group of people that hasn't seen each other in in a while and it was uh it was just really interesting everybody you know those people that came up on stage they shared um Mike Reynolds stories, and uh it was um it, it was it was a very touching thing. It was a very touching thing. But it was, it was the thing I thought was very interesting is the consistency, the consistency that he had, uh, whether it was fighting with people or complaining to people about ailments or things. It, it, you began to realize that, you know, it was almost like it was almost like Mike had a calling schedule. Well, I'll call person A at, um, at 9.30 at night. I'll call person B at 11.30. I'll call person C at one thirty. ba 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 And then I get to Dean at four o'clock in the morning from four to six o'clock in the morning. So it was, uh, because you started to realize that everybody had the same kind of phone calls. Um, but it was what it was. And, uh, it was a pretty pretty good fun friendship for many, many years, and uh i'm going to miss the guy and um, it, it was uh definitely definitely something that uh, uh, I thought of quite a few times this week. Uh, you know why didn't he reach out to me? Why didn't he call me uh, if he was you know without a home in Vegas? you know, call me, let me know that, you know, and I'll put you up on my couch here, you know, um, that kind of thing, I just, all these little things that I was like, you know, ran through my head, you know, uh, so it happens, and, uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, at the end of the day, it was another suicide by another comedian, so, um, like I said, uh, he will be missed by many, and, um, uh, he was a good friend good he was a good friend we you know uh, I would like very little very little fighting in this in this friendship um, but when we did uh it was you know usually for a few months and uh until he cooled down and then he would call me as though nothing happened so but this time for some reason, he chose not to and uh, that 's the only thing that bothers me is that uh, uh why he didn't You know, uh, feel going down the line of people. How come you didn't say? Well, let me give me call, Dean. Let me give Dean a call. And uh, so that's that's the only thing that upsets me. But um, all right, so we're done with that. I mean, the the memorial was phenomenal. Um, Great speakers. Um, Just you know, uh, very very uh, nice. Uh, service at the Hollywood Improv and and a shout out to the Hollywood Improv for uh putting us up today in the main room and, and letting us have the room. And uh it, it was it was it was good. It was very a very memorable um uh experience and a good chance to uh, uh bid adieu to uh to you know a fellow uh co- colleague or a comrade. So With that said, I'll get on a happier note with you guys, and I'll uh, tell you that uh, for my girlfriend, whose name is Carmen, and I, we had our one-year anniversary on the 23rd of August, which was Friday night, Friday, and um, I took her to see the Rolling Stones at the Rose Bowl, and that was Thursday night, the 22nd. And I have to tell you, this guy, this band, they still got it. They still rocked out hard for two hours and 15 minutes. They rocked out hard. He's 75 years old. Yes, he just had a new valve placed in his heart, um, I guess about three and a half, four months ago. And yes, that valve theoretically will give you more uh, energy because you're getting a higher surge of um ejection of blood flow oxygenated blood flow throughout the body so um so there is a reason physiologically that he's you know in the shape that he's in and i'm talking about mick jagger and um it's just amazing it's just amazing to watch two hours and 15 minutes running around and these are huge stages that he's on with catwalks and everything it's just it's amazing to watch and they did all the old hits and um sort of a paint-by-numbers set list, you know, these guys are doing this in their sleep now, uh, this is 57 years already of this, so <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that, but these guys have been relevant since 62 or 64, I think it's 62 actually, so I think it's 57 years, these guys just are just amazing, and Keith Richards, I believe, is the same age I think he 's plus a year or minus a year on Mick, but he he I would say you know looking a little bit little bit aged uh, uh, compared to Jagger compared to Jagger. I was very impressed Jagger took um, Mick took a few of his uh, outfits off, and at one point he 's wearing a uh, black t shirt and I was very impressed with uh, his physique on his arms um, my belief I leaned over to Carmen, and I said the doctors had to tell him I need, we need you to put a few pounds on um, to compensate for you know your body you know trying to fight after surgery you know to heal because it looked different he, he just looked He just looked different, his arms were noticeably muscular and they did not look like seventy five year old arms it was like It was literally like looking at a guy with forty five fifty year old uh, biceps. He, I was very impressed. I, 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 but that was the only thing I thought of. That is that they had to, the doctors had to say to him, "Look, you have got to put on ten, twelve pounds," and he looked great. Looked great, full head of hair, of course, full head of hair, and um, uh, Jagger's the kind. I, we were talking the other night, me and a few friends, and Jagger probably has. I would say he might have the best hair in rock and roll because his hair is thick. For 75 years old. And um, it was just amazing to watch. Amazing light show. They always have a great pyrotechnique show. It was just great. It was just really nice. And we, and we had actually very good seats at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And, uh, of course, we parked. Uh, we had to park about, not kidding, about a mile walk. It was a closing in on a mile and, um, uh, from the car. Uh, from the stadium, and uh, there's about 65, He, my buddy estimated 65 to 70,000 um, were in the audience, were uh, there, so it was pretty, pretty amazing, and you can't help, you know, me being a performer um, slash doctor or a doctor slash performer, um, you know, you can't help but look at these people and go, you know, what is this like, what is that like to come through that Curtain or the ramp to get in onto the stage, and you 're just looking out at a sea of people it 's just got to be the most amazing feeling on the planet you just and they 're screaming for you they 're screaming for you, and you know i 've always thought about this you know regarding Springsteen and a few other people, a few other acts, but you, you're talking the creme de la creme in the world of music, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> it just doesn't get, you're not getting much bigger than that. You know, so it was just, um, just a wonderful night. And, um, uh, you know, they played all the hits. Oh, excuse me. It's just a little late. I took a late walk. I went out walking around 1.32 o'clock in the morning with Darren Carter. The party started. We took about a two two and a half mile walk with jump rope and weights, so that was a tiny yawn so please don't uh, hold that against me. but I did go out for a uh, for a walk so um it was just amazing it was just amazing to watch and uh, we had a great time. Carmen and I both had a great time, and I made sure that she Uh, got caught up on Rolling Stones. She had told me that she didn't know much about the Stones. They didn't know much of their music. And uh, I said, well, listen, you know, we're going on Thursday. So when you're in the office on Monday, you know, put them in your headphones as you're doing your work. You know, Make sure you get some Stones uh, underneath your belt. Because otherwise, you know, it's going to be a full night of, what song is this? Well, what's this called? What's the name of this song? And I didn't want that. So I was like, you know, make sure you get some, you know, a little bit of knowledge as to what their songs are. So it was great. She got to know that. She was happy when a certain song came on. So it was it was fun. It was just a, a good good night. Um only an hour and forty-five minutes to get out there from Studio City, North Hollywood. Um that was an interesting drive. So that was um that was my my week um obviously Dennis Henry's uh um service memorial service say goodbye to Dennis for the last time and then there was uh uh the stones and then um uh where was he uh, oh yeah and then we went and then we had Mike Reynolds memorial service and this Tuesday the 27th I'll be up uh doing stand up comedy with Darren Carter Up in Santa Clarita, Valencia, I think the restaurant, it's it's supposed to be a nice big Mexican restaurant. It's supposed to be beautiful. Noche Azul in Valencia. So if you happen to be in that area, come on out Tuesday night. I think we're hitting the stage around 7.30, quarter to 8 or something. So so that's where I'm at right now. And let's see if I did this the uh, appropriate way. Oh, perfect. What did I say? I told you guys, 20 minutes. It's 21.09. Isn't that great? So now we'll get back to um, where we left off. So I left off talking to you guys about... um, I was up in Brockport, and there was a tiny error I made, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But I was up in Brockport, and I had a tiny crush on a professor of mine Uh, professor uh, Dr. Polly Rogers and she had a class called concepts of human communication and in that class I was getting ready to do the final exam for the semester uh, to earn a grade and um, she told us all that we need to break up into groups and we need to um, uh, do a sketch and it can be comedic preferably Uh, but you know, obviously better if we, uh, you know, obviously better if you make it comedic, but you know, if you need to do some dramatic thing, great. And uh, you're going to break up into parties of, of six and, um, you're going to put together a sketch, uh, 30 to 45 minutes. And it has to be based on the material that we learned. And so we, uh, we did that. Uh, me and my group, I happened to have had a guy on the football team. I um, uh, played tight end on the Brockport football team. And so I made him my Ed McMahon. And I made uh, somebody by the name of Jim Davis. I remember the guy's name. And he uh, looked a little bit like Richard Gere. So we had Richard Gere on the Johnny Carson show. I, I played Johnny Carson. And we had Richard Gere, which was perfect timing because an officer and a gentleman had just exploded a few months uh earlier and um on the scene and gear, Richard Gere became you know a very hot actor uh off of American Gigolo, and then an officer and a gentleman. So um we had a guy named Jim Davis, good looking guy who looked a little bit like Gere, and um I had him well, let me get to this. So uh so for the for about two weeks, I, I really studied uh, Johnny Carson. I you know obviously I watched the show since I'm in third or fourth grade, but um, I really you know took it seriously. You know uh, studied his mannerisms, uh, even wrote some of his jokes down because I knew I was going to need to use some of his jokes, and most of these kids in class aren't going to know that I was uh, stealing some of his jokes because most of these people were normal and they were sleeping, uh, in back then. But me and, uh, my, uh, let's see, it was my roommate, I guess back then, I think, yeah, it was my roommate, Michael Weiss. Uh, we would watch Carson and, uh, David Letterman. So in the room on a little 12 inch screen, hilarious. Um, so, uh, I, I was, I told the group, okay, I'll play Johnny Carson and, uh, Everybody, you know, had to learn what they wanted to be. If you're going to be play Richard Gere, you got to do some research on that. And, and this way you can act like uh, Gear when I bring you on uh, as my guest. And so it was great. So we finally, uh, we did a few rehearsals and um, uh, I had, uh, I, let's see, I had the guy who looked like Ed McMahon, who played Ed McMahon, I had Richard Gear, and then I had... I think it was two or three other guests and one was like a, a professor of uh, sociology and, and psychology. It was one of these things we just made up, you know, two other people's uh, names and, and what they would, uh, what their, uh, um, job descriptions were. And once again, everything was based on, um, uh, concepts of modern communication. So, uh, I uh we did the rehearsals a couple of times and it really worked out uh, worked out pretty uh pretty well. And uh, so we eventually uh I, I took a tape recorder and I taped the introduction to the tonight show, which if you recall went, you know da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Tonight uh, uh, Johnny's guest star, blah 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 blah. And I did that, I taped it and um, on a tape recorder back then, what we known as it was we called a cassette deck uh half the audience right now has no clue what I'm talking about but uh back in the eighties nineteen eighties there was uh there was something called a uh, cassette recorder, and that's how I recorded uh the tonight' show um uh opening and then I came out uh to uh I uh, had my Ed McMahon introduce me, and now here's Johnny. And I came out, and I was dressed. I remember this. I came out dressed in a suit and tie, and I sprinkled a little bit of baby powder in my hair to, you know, gray me just a tad, just a tad. And uh, I did a five or six minute monologue, and you know, it was all stolen jokes from from his from the last two weeks of his monologue. And you know, I would come out and I come out and I go. Yes, um, let's see, uh, it, it's, it is so good, so, it, what a night, what a night we have here tonight, we've got, uh, we've got Richard Gears here, and, uh, you know, I did five, six minutes, and, um, uh, today was a very interesting day, I, uh, there was a freak accident on the, uh, 405, uh, six freaks in a van crashed into nine freaks in a Volvo, you know, it was just very, very Johnny Carson stuff, and, uh, uh, and it's always nice to see Doc Severinsen and the band are here, and uh, Ed McMahon is here, and uh, we got a great show for you. And I did all that, and um, it was just it went great. It was it was really a lot of fun. And then I had um, I had Richard Gear, I had Jim Davis who played Richard Gear, and he came up on the desk and he started doing abdominal crunches on my uh, on my Johnny Carson desk. Uh, And I gave the typical facial expressions that Carson was a genius at, uh, while gear was doing these, um, these, uh, sit-ups, these abdominal sit-ups, uh, uh, basically doing lines from the movie, an officer and a gentleman, uh, in a sit-up position. So, um, I was just having a blast. I loved it. And the sketch ended and we got this amazing applause from the rest of the class and a strange thing happened. Um, as the class was filing out and people were leaving, uh, you know, I realized that my books were in the back of the room and uh, my knapsack, what it was called back then. And um, obviously, I didn't bring any of that up to the table, so it was all in the back. And so I, you know, I went to the back of the room to, and the only person that was left in the room was uh, Dr. Rogers, Polly Rogers. And, uh, and this is the woman I had a crush on. She was very, very sexy, beautiful woman back then. And I'm sure she aged gracefully as well. She just had that certain stature about her. And she came over to me, uh, and there's nobody in the room. She came over to me and she says, Dean, can I talk to you for a second? And, uh, and I'm going to in myself. I'm going great. She's, she's, you know, she's going to finally seduce me. This is going to be like, you know, uh, a scene from The Graduate. Oh, Mrs. Robinson. I don't think that's appropriate. Uh, you know, that was my Dustin Hoffman just now. But uh, I'm thinking all these crazy thoughts. I'm going, oh, wow, this is this might just happen. I might, you know, be seduced by my teacher. She might say, you know, come over for dinner or something. I'm getting all these crazy thoughts in a matter of uh, three seconds. And uh, so I said, yeah, 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 what's up? What's up, Doc? You know, and... um so she she said to me, "Let me ask you a question. Uh, what are you studying here?" And I, you know, I just very innocently remember at this stage I'm 1983. This is I'm gonna be 19 years old, but uh, so I'm 18 and a half years old. So I said to her in a very innocent voice, because I really was naive. I said, "Well, I'm trying to get into the business school, and I'm going to study accounting." And she let out a laugh, and I was, like, confused. And she goes, you're kidding, right? And I said, no, uh, um, why? Why Why wouldn't I want to be an accountant? It's a great f- profession and, you know, always going to provide me with job security and a decent lifestyle. And if I go out and get my CPA's license, you know, maybe I'll even, you know, get a, a even better lifestyle. And um, so, you know, my... I just didn't even, I was so naive, you know, because all I kept hearing were my parents telling me these things. You've got to become an accountant. You've got to become an accountant. Every business needs an accountant. That's all I ever heard from them. Um, so she said to me, you know, I'll never forget this. So she says to me, well, let me let me just ask you a crazy question. Have you ever thought about studying theater or becoming an actor or um, or a comedian, and at the time, stand-up comedy was just starting to get its sea legs. It was just starting. Uh, I remember going to see George Carlin up in uh, Rochester, because uh, Brockport is 16 miles from Rochester. I went there freshman year to see him. Um, uh, I remember, I believe, I went to see Stephen Wright um, up in, uh, up there as well. Sandra Bernhard came to my school, SUNY Brockport. Um, so I, it, it was getting hot. Comedy was starting to get a little, a little big. So a little bit of, uh, it's sea legs underneath. So I just, you know, this, when she said this, I said, well, you know, I've always loved watching movies and Rocky's my favorite movie. And, I love you know Tootsie and I love this and I love that and ba ba and, and television's great and you know I'm a fan of you know All in the Family and The Odd Couple and all these shows from the seventies and I said and you know famous being famous looks sort of fun and you know but I never thought of it as a way to make money you know I said to her listen with all due respect Miss Rogers uh, Doctor Rogers you know I live in New York City. And, you know, there are a lot of struggling actors and, you know, they all seem to be waiting tables, waiting for a break. And I said, you know, quite frankly, I know, you know, I know, you know, I I, I, I know what you're saying and I appreciate the advice, but I wouldn't even know where to start. And I'd be afraid to be poor my whole life. And um, I said to her, well, why do you ask? And she said to me, didn't you feel it? And I said, you know, feel what? And she said, well, didn't you feel and see how all the eyes, you know, were on you throughout that sketch and throughout the show you guys just did. And, you know, they liked you. They liked your performance, and they they wanted to be up there with you uh, uh, as a guest on your show. They wanted to banter with you. They were they were having a blast, and I just, I, I didn't see it. And I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be humble, fake, fake, humble. I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. This is all I knew as a kid. I only knew making an audience laugh as a kid. I only knew making the teachers, you know, get frustrated with me in public school because I would mimic and I would do voices. And so they, you know, that's all I knew. I didn't, you know, there was no Pavlov's positive reinforcement. I wasn't getting any kind of money. And I certainly wasn't getting, what did Pavlov's, I can't remember what Pavlov's dogs were get. But um, so there, there was this, I don't know, that was to me a pretty bold, you know, and wild statement that she said to me. And so she continues on going, you know, I don't know you very well, Dean. You know, I know you for this length of time, the 12, 13 weeks in the class, but I can tell talent. And I I think you have something that's trying to come out. And, you know, and I hope you do the right thing. And I wish you well in the long run, of course. But, you know, please think about what we just spoke of. And I, you know, I, I just, you know, I thanked her. Remember, I'm an 18-year-old kid, man. Youth is wasted on the young. I didn't know anything about dreams. I I didn't exactly get sent in in those directions by my parents. I was never really, like, told, you know, go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it. You know, I, I was never really given that, you know. So I didn't have those tools to work with, Um but I, you know, I thanked her and I proceeded to, you know, walk out of the class and, you know, had a, a nice uh, uh, walk ahead of me to think and digest and process what she said. And uh, not to mention, um, you know, I also was thinking to myself, man, I I really thought she was going to seduce me. You know, I, <laughs> I was still uh, I was still thinking about her sexually. But um So now what happened was I was now officially one very confused college freshman. And uh, by the way, I wanted to uh, say that um, I stayed, I had to think about this. I stayed in McLean Hall for one year, uh, uh, um, uh, semester one and semester two. You have two semesters for the year. And um, I forgot about that. Because I remember thinking, wait a second, I know that I I I did not stop you know yelling from a distance of eighty ninety feet to Michael Weiss making fun of him as he'd be walking on the Strand. I know that I I definitely did this um, uh, come uh, uh, springtime, uh, so it had to be eighty three. So I meant to say that I moved in. I left McLean Hall in '84, uh, summer of uh, September of '84, and I lived in uh, uh, what was called Mortimer, uh, Mortimer Hall, which was a high-rise building, and we lived on the eighth floor. And um, I'm just thinking right now, yeah, lived on the eighth floor. I had to think about that for a second. And you know what's weird? Back then, you didn't even think about living on a high-rise. In other words, we had we had windows where, if if you got a bad grade or something, and, and the kid was unstable, you jump right out the window from an eight-story building. I mean, it, it, I, it was just amazing when you think about it. Now there's probably you know bars on a window of a, of a college, when you know if you're in a high-rise. But this was a twelve. If I remember correctly, this was a twelve-story building. Yeah, I think I was on the eighth of twelve of, of twelve stories, and it just. I think about it sometimes, and I go, "Wow, I can't believe in the day and age of you know suicides and all that." I couldn't believe that back in '82 that you know you had a literal window um, with no screen and no no protection. You know, uh, you could have fallen out of that window eight stories up. It was just amazing when 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 I think about it. But so now. I, uh, I finished the, uh, first, I think it was the first year. Yeah. Let's see where I'm at right now. Yeah. So I finished the first year. I have some notes that I always look at little bullet point notes. And, um, I remember, yeah, now it's coming back. So I remember walking, uh, like days later walking around campus and I, I enjoyed the feeling I got, you know, um, maybe out of the 60 members in the class, obviously six of them were in my group. Um, so the f- other 54 people I would see, you know, maybe on the Strand or maybe at uh, the Canal Side Pub where everybody went, and I would have people that would come over to me, literally come over and say how much they enjoyed the sketch and, and the other day and how funny they thought it was. And, you know, you do a great, you know, a good Johnny Carson and, um and you know, it was just, it was such a nice feeling, you know, to, to, to have that. And, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it sort of started to resonate into my head and, uh, it just seemed so like there was, you know, there was possibly no better way to make, you know, new friends than when you can make others laugh. And, um, I don't know. I, I think I found that out in relationships, male, female relationships. I think, that was a, a way that i was e- able to even get dates was by you know uh making a, a girl laugh so i'd be I, at around 18 and a half 19 uh yeah i guess pushing 19 i started to realize the power of comedy and uh, for that matter the power of performance you know over people so it was a very um it was a very interesting uh, thing to go through because uh, On one hand, I was extremely confused now. Am I making the wrong move? And on the other hand, I was like, you know, hmm, something is getting, Pandora's box is opening up. There's something happening here. And, um, you know, now I would say to that young boy, Dean Larratt at 18, I go, you know, start taking cues from the universe. But back then I wasn't, you know, spiritual to realize about the universe, (laughs) I didn't really know about that stuff. But um, I don't know. I thought to myself, you know, at a certain point, I was like, no matter how good of an accountant or a CPA I became, not one person on this planet is ever going to come over to me in a store or in a street corner and say, Oh, my God, that balance sheet you did the other day, oh, that was amazing, and that audit you did—oh my god! That audit that you did—oh boy, I could swear I was getting wet. Excuse me for that, but I mean, you know—is there any chance I could have your your autograph? I, you know, and I, and I just realized that wasn't going to happen. So, I, confusion was setting in, you know, at an early age for me. I mean, I don't know too many people at nineteen that were that that start to get bitten by the bug, but they don't know what the bug is yet. And I didn't know what the bug is yet. I knew. That there are comedians out there, and there were only a few. And um, but I, and and you'd see them on Carson, and uh, uh, you'd see them on Letterman, and it was just um, I don't know. There was just these comedians that, that you saw for four and uh, six minutes back then. It was a six minute set on those shows. So it it's things started to get stirred up. in, 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 uh, in my head. So my first year at Brockport, I actually finished up. Okay. As I said before, I was put on academic probation the first semester and I finished up, um, had a 1.85 first semester GPA. And then I got a 3.25 the second. So I managed to stay. I needed a, what did I need? I needed a 2.0. So I needed a, uh, 2.15. That's right. And I got a 3.25. I needed an aggregate total of two so uh my grades went up, and you know kept me from having to live back home at my uh, my at what I thought was a pretty dysfunctional household and uh but I did start to notice that my um, my desire to become an accountant slash c p a was dropping uh, i don't really know why, but over the summer, but I guess I just I started to realize uh i don't know if this is going to happen so I spent um I spent a lot of time in the local movie theater in uh uh in in Brockport, which was like seven blocks down from uh uh from the town from the campus and I that I started noticing like like I would uh it could be a Monday night or a Tuesday night. I would go you know, you should be studying, um This is not summertime. I didn't stay there for summer. I came back in September. But like you should be studying at nighttime, and my fellow students were studying, and I found myself going to the theater down, I would say it was about six, seven block walk, and I would be going to the theater. I would walk on the railroad tracks. I remember walking on the railroad tracks, and I would go to the movies, and I would see movies when everybody was in the library, and I was starting to go to a movie uh, I think a movie was a dollar fifty or something back then. it was ridiculous but um so that 's what started to uh to take shape uh with me uh you know um, uh, you know for the most part. Those movies that we got in Brockport usually were films that have been out everywhere else in the country for like the last month and a half, but they didn 't make their way up to brockport for you know for like two months so it was just uh i don 't know it was a very lost I was a very lost child back then I was very confused, um, but I was thirsty man I was thirsty for some kind of you know uh, escape, and I guess I found it in the and i didn 't mean to say man um my mother always uh, corrects me on that um I'm not man I'm your mother and she would always say so I apologize for saying that but I was just thirsty I was I was craving something that I wasn't getting from my intro to accounting books and uh you know I just uh I knew that I was going into a very dreary world of uh academia and uh you know I'd sit there and I'd fantasize and and about you know, one starting to think, hmm, wanting to become an actor. Wow, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this. And you know, I'd watch every scene. And then on my way back to my dorm, which was a seven, six, seven block walk on a railroad track, I would, you know, I would. It sounds like a movie, Stand by Me, but it's true. I would walk at night on the railroad track upstate New York. And uh, it could be freezing weather. It could be beautiful night in upstate New York in September, October is beautiful. But whatever it was, I would just be like, you know, kicking a rock on a railroad track, going, you know, what is it? Where am I going? Where am I going? So it was. Um, it was very, it was a very, very, you know, weird time for me at that time, you know, and um, you know, uh, I don't know. I just. Uh, I, I think about it now, and i I still have dreams I still have crazy, crazy dreams about going up to Brockport and as a student and i st- uh, in other words, I could be a doctor, and yet i 'm going back to get some credits, and I find myself in a dorm. And I find myself asking myself, what am I doing up here? I'm a friggin' doctor in Los Angeles. Why am I in this dorm room? I still have dreams like this. Uh, what is this, 37 years later, I still have dreams. So um, I, guess, I guess we're going now. Um, I'm going to start the second year at Brockport, and I'm going to move to Mortimer Hall, where I'm going to live with... Um, what would become one of my closest friends in the world. Our relationship has strained in the last 10 years, but uh, I always have a place in my heart for this guy, um, who to me should have, and could have been probably one of the greats in comedy, had he, had he decided to stay with it. Um, his name is Michael Weiss. And we became phenomenal friends. He was the guy that I told you uh, I met at um, uh, orientation and i and he would come to the Great Neck movie theater when I was um, working in a movie theater for, uh, during the summer for Rocky three and uh, just he was my Costello to my abbot, or he was my abbot to my Costello, he was my Laurel to my Hardy. He was uh my one of my brothers in a Marx brother uh relationship. He was um uh I always told him, I said, You missed the boat, man. You 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 could have been one of the greats in, in comedy and, and acting. He just had a certain comedic uh wit and but I'll get to him later on. But no, we we decided to become roommates. He was going to move out of Benedict Dobson Hall, and we were all moving to Mortimer. Those were the high rises. Supposedly, that's where, you know, some of the fun was going on uh, in the Mortimer high rises. And I forgot the other names of the, of the, uh, uh, the buildings. But um, there was, I think, four. Oh, Bramley, Bramley, McVicker, I think Mortimer. And I can't remember the other. There was, I think, four altogether. And that's where, for some reason, the good parties were. So, you know, people started going to parties there. And then I guess people would leave the party and go, I got to live here next semester. that's what I did. So my second year at Brockport was basically the same. You know, I went to class, sat in class, daydreamed about being an actor or maybe even a stand-up comedian. Hint, 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 hint. And at night, especially on the weekends, while most of the uh, you know, campus was going to drug and alcohol parties, I'm sitting and catching the, the newest movie uh, at the Brockport Cinema, uh, which, by the way, was uh, not the newest movie. It's already been on the uh, market for, uh, in the box office now for two months. But by the time it came back, it you know, came up to us that it was two months old. Or I would stay in my dorm room. Um, Mike and I, uh, Mike always had a few dollars. And I told you guys in the past that I was always waiting on a $50 check from my father, which always took seven days to arrive and seven days to clear. So I would live on a ninety seven for about a week and a half, two weeks. Uh, but remember, I had a meal card, so the card was already prepaid. So I always had my meals covered, but I didn't have a dime for extra anything extra. And, uh, and in hindsight, to this day... I cannot understand how I did not take a part time job in the movie theater uh i don't know six hours a uh, six hours a week, five six dollars an hour back then, five six dollars an hour. maybe pick up twenty five thirty bucks to have some money, which by the way twenty five thirty bucks in nineteen eighty two uh could get you quite a few draft beers. And could get you, you know, nice buzz going for the weekend if you want to catch a little buzz. And I was not a big, you know, drug user at that time. I sort of stopped smoking pot. Um, uh, gave up pretty much all that craziness. And got heavily into fitness and all that stuff. And um, we'll get to all that stuff. but um, And that's what was happening. Uh, and so I would stay in my dorm on a Saturday night. And Mike and I... He would have a few extra dollars. Maybe I, had, maybe I had two bucks on me. And, you know, we would order like 50, to, I'm not kidding, 50 to 75 buffalo wings, buffalo wings with hot sauce. Uh, and we would order maybe uh, a pizza. I mean, I can't believe what we used to eat. Uh, that was, you know, that was considered, you know, good eating. Well, I've got my chicken, that's protein, and I got my pizza, and that's uh, that's um, uh, grain and cheese, and cheese has calcium, and it was just ridiculous, you know. It was just a ridiculous way to think back then, but but that's what we did. And there was another place, uh, I think it was called Papa Joe's or Papa, no, it wasn't Papa John's. I can't remember what it was, but there was a place in Brockport that made very good subs, so huge, huge subs, foot long subs, and they were huge, and a guy would slam on the meat, turkey or tuna. it was amazing so so that 's what we would do and we would sit and watch say Night live and you know at the time, stand up comics were popping up all over the tube, and comedy clubs were you know sprouting up all over the place and i don 't know we just uh we just had fun, Michael and I had fun, don 't get me wrong. I went out, I partied. I got disgustingly drunk, you know, and we would, but, but we would figure out a way to maybe try and get home for a little bit of, back to the dorm, um, for a little bit of Saturday Night Live. Now, McLean in freshman year, that was just a two-man dorm. You're in a dorm room with another guy, me and Tobin Walters. Uh, in Mortimer, I was in a suite. It's a three-bedroom suite so there is a common living room and then three rooms and um that was a really uh really cool cool setup that was a really really cool setup um uh you know because there was six guys living in there and it was just it was just awesome it was really nice really cool and we just had had a blast but you know we always like i said we would watch Saturday Night live and uh, at the time uh Mike and I became very, very big fans of Stephen Wright, who I uh, uh, told you about about three, four minutes ago. And he was just hysterical and always on Letterman and Carson. And and I would try and, you know, write little one-liner jokes in his uh, speaking voice, in his way, you know. And the, the crazy thing is, is that six, yeah, uh, five years later... Five years later in nineteen eighty-eight, I will end up walking with him for seven or eight huge blocks in Manhattan, and I gave him one of my jokes. And um and he he liked the joke. And I ran into him uh, about thirty years later. I ran into him thirty some years later at believe it or not, out here in Los Angeles, and I told him about that. Uh, where me and him walked for seven blocks, and he he didn't really remember the walk, and I don't know if I would either. But um, but he liked the joke I told him because I said to him, I, "I remember the joke I gave you," and he liked it. Uh, so it was very, very. It's amazing how the universe you know goes full circle. So I just oh, actually we're getting a little bit big on time right now. Let me see how I'm doing here. Actually, I do have to get going in a few seconds. So we're gonna wrap that up pretty soon. Um I was also impressed with this uh uh relatively new guy on uh, Carson that's right that was a, another thing that was going on on Carson uh first time I uh I guess it was um for the first time I think it was the previous year actually and this guy made me laugh uh with this take on the simplest things in life and uh he 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 took you know uh, something as like easy as doing laundry or growing up, you know, with Halloween costumes. And he made it, you know, into some of the funniest stuff. And his name was a guy by the name of Jerry Seinfeld. And um, so it was it was really interesting to see some of the comedians back then, uh, Eddie Murphy coming on uh, stage and doing, I, I don't know, I can't remember what year he was, his first Tonight Show was. But uh, it was just it was just fascinating. It was a fascinating time and um, it's just uh, I think about these things all the time, and we 're slowly starting to get to where I want to go to on this podcast and i 'm uh, so it, and i 'm bringing you there slowly but surely, slowly but surely, I am bringing you there so we 're at fifty five minutes and um i 'll finish up a little bit with Seinfeld. I found this guy I, I, I remember telling Mike I said this guy is going to go places this guy He's got a, you know, just, he's just funny, man. And, you know, uh, and I, you know, who knew? Who knew that, you know, uh, what is it, seven or eight years later, about nine years later, he becomes the, the owner of the biggest TV show sitcom in history and, uh, and would end up, you know, uh, end up propelling uh, all of office conversation on Friday mornings uh, because of his Thursday night show, on nBC so um, i guess uh, I guess we should uh, wrap it up uh, very quickly by saying that i'm going to finish two years at Brockport, very confused very um, very torn um, very scared to tell my parents that i 'm thinking of something else and I just started, I don't know, I just started dabbling in my head a little bit. And, you know, I wonder if I could do what that guy just did on television. I wonder if I could do that in front of a class. Well, I did it the other day, you know, in Dr. Rogers' class. I did it last semester. I did it for 45 minutes. I wonder, could I do this, you know? Granted, I, you know, I spoke like Johnny Carson for the entire, uh, you know, uh, it's so nice to be here tonight. It's great to be here, doc. It's always nice to see you and Ed always great to see you um but I wondered what would happen if I spoke in my own voice and um I guess, yeah, I guess uh yeah, come may of eighty three i uh I start to think to myself, you know I'm getting a little tired of Brockport uh it's a little cold up here, and the winters are brutal, and I was running six, seven miles a night, by the way. And I would always end up getting the flu because it was freezing up there and it was three feet of snow from uh, November till April. And I decided to call it a day. And we're going to get to that very shortly on the next Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. I am Dr. Dean, and um, I hope you enjoy it. I'm, I'm still scattered around a little bit because, you know, these are... These are elicited memories from 37 years ago. I'm really just using bullet points here. There's no writings or anything. I'm, so I'm, I'm pulling a lot of this stuff up as I'm looking up in my ceiling right now while I'm on my couch. So I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, and we are going to start with me transferring to the University of Maryland at College Park for September of 84. And I'll see you guys and speak to you guys soon. You have a double episode to listen to.